Good morning. Jesus absolutely turned this world upside down, didn't he? And we're going to talk about that. Jesus changed everything when he came into the world that he created. So we're going to get to a text which I'm real excited about because we're just making our way verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. So if you want to hold a place at Luke 6, 27 to 42, we're smack dab in the middle of one of the most amazing teachings of Jesus where he gives the Sermon on the Mount. So we're going to get into this a second. But I just want to say a couple of things. Um, There is something that happens when we connect with the Holy Spirit. And worship and prayer has a huge role in that. And if you were able to be here last Tuesday night at worship night, it was just an hour, over an hour of just pure just worship, just surrender to God. I, I just... I I just can't emphasize enough when we have these regular worship times, something happens in the supernatural that touches our heart. God opens doorways. He brings down strongholds. God can give a word of wisdom. God can heal. There was a woman that came in that had these massive headaches and couldn't get rid of them. After worship night, God completely healed her, and we just wanted to verify that, so we talked to her a few days later. She said, I haven't had a headache or a migraine in days. We had one guy about 22 years old. He says, I have never been anything like this before where there's just worship. I just felt the presence of God in such a way. Thursday night, he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And so he's going to get baptized right after second hour. I just want to say things are happening and it has nothing to do with us. If we can just get out of the way and let God do what he wants to do, man, he can do massive things, incredible things. So, um, guys, I just want to reiterate, uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear some of the announcements, I, we just want to create this place of community where God has a platform to do something great. And so men's breakfast on March 26th here at 7 to 9. We'll be out of here at 9. But I just want to say that something happens when we get together in community under the name of Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but I just believe every time we gather, God's going to do something. Just like right now, I believe that this is not just another religious experience. It's not just a gathering. It's a Holy Spirit-filled party. And when God shows up, amazing things happen. So if you're here today and been struggling with something or maybe have questions or maybe kind of new to church life or, you know, God stuff and maybe just kind of checking it out or I'm not really sure about this Bible thing, but I remember I was raised in it, but I just got a lot of questions. I just want to say I am so glad that you are here because I believe God meets us at an intersection of life when we don't have the answers, when we don't have a plan. God is faithful, just like we sang in some of these songs. And so I just want to uh, lend our hearts to what God wants to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that you can pull down every stronghold that maybe has been there for years in some of our lives, God. We believe, Jesus, that your name is above every name. And we believe, Jesus, that one day every knee will bow Every tongue will confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. Even the atheist will lay down his feet. He will lay down, bow down at your feet, God. And so, God, I pray that you do something so, so ginormous, God, that no person could take any credit for anything that you're doing. God, I thank you for your word that's so simple. You gave us two truths, Lord. You said to love you and love one another. And I pray, God, today, as we unpack this, That, God, we will see this with a sensitive heart, a passionate heart, a heart that says, Jesus, I'm surrendering everything to you, God. I don't understand everything, but I trust you, God. 
If there's anyone here today that's walking in darkness, that's walking in a place that seems impossible, I pray, God, that you would break through, that you would do miracles here this morning, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. God brought a revolution when Jesus was born into the world. He brought a revolution. He brought change. And that revolution was a revolution of love. Jesus said to all the skeptics that were standing around him in the Gospel of Mark at one point, when they were really grilling Jesus, when they were really trying to trap him, entrap him, and all these questions, and he said, these above all the commandments, these are the most important ones, that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second is this, love people, love your neighbor. All the law, all the prophets, everything hangs on those two. You know, Paul said in Corinthians, the great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, he said, of all these things, the greatest, all the gifts, every talent, everything that God gives us, the greatest thing is love, loving people. So why is it that sometimes it's really hard to love the unlovely? The first thing we must understand in all of this is that I am the most unlovely person before God. Before we start pointing the finger at everybody else and go, yeah, I got this person in my mind. I got to really love them. Let's take a step back and humble ourselves and say, okay, God, I was the most unlovely person to you because of all my sin and all my rebellion. And Jesus, you entered my heart. You saved me. And, and you put love in my heart, God. I mean, if Anyone here has been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. You know he put love in your heart. When he loved you unconditionally, it's an in-your-face love. He'll never stop loving you. And when you come to grips, when you come to an experience where you've, you've let the love of Jesus touch your heart, you can't help but love other people. Something seems to happen after we give our lives to Jesus. I, I just want you to think back. For those that have, yes, I've given my heart to Jesus, I want you to think back at that moment when Jesus touched you, that he poured his love into you, that he showed his forgiveness, that the cross of Jesus Christ was lifted up in your heart for the very first time. It, it, was, it was easy to love right after that. But then something happens. The world begins to squeeze us and, and begins to mold and shape us. And we hear other voices and, and we can get really cold to the simple truth of God just wants us to love people. You know, of, of, of all the memorials and funerals that, I have either witnessed or participated in. I have never been able to see anyone who's been able to take anything with them into eternity. You cannot take one thing into eternity when we pass, except two things. I've whittled it down to two. You ready for the two? Are, you, are we all awake this morning? Okay, all right. Relationships. Relationship with God and relationship with people. That's the only two things that we can take into this, out of this world, into heaven when we're with Jesus Christ. So here's the question. How do we love people when they hurt us? When Jesus died on the cross, he, he caused the vertical to get right with us. We are forgiven. We are changed. We are reborn. We are born again. We are refreshed. The Holy Spirit has come into our life and everything is new. Now today I want to talk to you about the horizontal part of the cross about getting things right and before we talk about the how-to's that God gives some wonderful prescriptions about how to do this I just don't want to miss the other component we'll put it on the slide here that there is a spiritual battle there is a real devil there is a real enemy who wants to stop you from loving people 
I, I, and, and I, was, I grew up in this area of Mission Viejo, in the city of Mission Viejo, and God had put a book in my hand by Ed Savoso, and he talked about pastors oftentimes are missing the component of pastoring churches and pastoring people and shepherding and giving the word of God and loving them and also discipline and all those things that God calls a church leader to do where we get so into the natural. We get so into, are the rows straight? Are there no spots on the carpet? Are the lights in the right place? Does the, the, the MC work? Is there enough parking? Do we have greeters? Is everybody happy and smiling and welcoming people who sometimes are just lost and they're coming to church? Those things are important, but sometimes we miss the spiritual component that there is a real war. There is an atmosphere in the heavenlies, Ephesians 6 says, and it could be that sometimes people are held back from knowing Christ or really seeing him because there is a spiritual veil that is pulled over the eyes of those that are walking in darkness. And I would say equally that even in the church of Jesus, those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, that sometimes we allow ourselves to be so blinded because it's a spiritual problem. There are strongholds that the enemy has grabbed onto in our lives, and when he grabs onto a stronghold and we go ahead and say, I'm okay with that sin, I'm okay with disobedience to Jesus in this area, there is a stronghold that the enemy grabs onto, and we then are no longer able to see the purity and the love of Jesus and just love people for free. I want more than anything else, man. And I believe every time we step into this place to worship God or have the privilege of stepping up here, and Pastor Zach did a wonderful job last week of giving the word of God, but any pastor that stands on this platform, it is a privilege. And I say, it may be the last time that we get to do this before Jesus comes. I mean, the fact that all the stuff that's going on in the world and the scripture and all that, we are in the last days, I believe that. And we want to make the most of every opportunity. At the end of the day, what is Michigan Christian Church known for? I don't remember the building. I don't remember so much. I remember the donut shop. I don't remember so much about the parking lot. I remember it had some bumps and cracks in it, and they got to get that thing together. But what I remember the most is those people loved people. They loved the community. They loved people that were unruly and unkind and just lost. If you have your Bibles, I just want to make a reference really quick to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, and then we'll get into the text in Luke. Paul says this as he wrote this to his son in the faith, Timothy. He said, I urge you, first of all, that prayers, praying for all people, Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks to them. Pray this way for kings and all those in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked with godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, watch this now, everyone to be what? Everyone to be what? Saved and understand the truth. There is one God, one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. And he gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. So why are we talking about this? It's so important because Jesus talked about it. Every single person should have an opportunity to be touched with the love of God. Do you believe that? Now, I wanna take it one step deeper. What about the people that you hate? Oh, wait a minute, why did he say that? Christians aren't supposed to hate anybody. I don't hate anyone, right? Come on. We got secret things in our hearts. We got certain people that they did wrong to us. They hurt us. They stole from us. 
They, they backstabbed. They, they did the most vile, horrible thing to us. They violated us. And you're telling me to love those people? You're telling me to love my enemy? Well, I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. I want you to think about the person that you work with who's jealous, your neighbor who's absolutely rude, unkind, the relative that talks behind your back to other family members and pulls every stronghold down in your family, the ex-spouse that's literally pulling your children away from you and your relationship with your kid is nil. You cannot control others, but you can control you. There are five types of people, and then we'll look at Luke chapter 5. There is one, first of all, demanding people. Controlling. Always playing the victim. Everything's got to revolve around them. These are sometimes the most difficult people to deal with. Would you agree? The second one is the disapproving. I'll call these the five Ds. The disapproving person. They're perfect, and they expect everyone else to be perfect. They cross every T. They dot every I. They follow Jesus to the rim, and they expect everyone to do nothing less. And the same. Then we have number three, the destructive person. These are the volcanoes. These are the people that explode, that they have a bad temper. These are the folks that in a moment of rashness, they all of a sudden can drop a bomb, an atom bomb, and leave the room. I call these folks, these are the Tasmanian devils. They just stir it up, and then they leave. And then, of course, we have the discontented. The discontented type person might be nothing is good enough. And they'll punish every, everyone else until everyone meets their standard. And the last one is the demeaning. They're just mean-spirited people. They're just mean. Well, they love people, certain people. Have you ever noticed that? There are certain people that will love certain people, but then behind, they will hate and be mean and, and hateful towards others and appear to have all the love of Jesus. There are three things that we are going to learn here out of this text. Number one is the practice of loving your enemy. Amen? Come on, we all want to get good at this, so we're going to practice. Number two is this, the basis of loving your enemy. And then last is the practical need for loving your enemy. You got your enemy in your mind right now? You got that person? Do not look over at your husband or wife. Don't do that. Luke chapter 6, I want you to see the scene with me. This is mentioned in several different places in the Bible. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. You might remember this, maybe even some of the Jesus films. This is one of Jesus' most impressive, I was saying, not impressive, but just most impactful messages because he called people to do something different than the world. I want you to see the Sea of Galilee with me. I want you to see that the sun is glistening off the water, the rolling hills in the background, and Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he takes a quiet moment on the Sermon on the Mount, and he wants them so much to understand this. So let's read verses 27 to 42, and then we'll unpack this. But to you who are willing to listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer the shirt too. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. 
And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. So once again, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. And then your reward from heaven will be great. And you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. And just when we think we can get out of this thing, Jesus continues on. Do not judge others or you, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. Your gift will be returned to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student is fully trained. Who is fully trained will become like their teacher. We all just want to be more like Jesus, right? And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log sticking out of your own eye? How can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, that's a lot of text. That's a lot of scripture. There's a lot to digest there, and the tendency is we're going to dig into the Greek. We're going to get into the Hebrew. We're going to just dig down deep and get into the context of this thing, but there's nothing wrong with that. But this passage, I believe, was not meant for that because we all know what it means to be hateful, and we all know what it means to judge somebody, and we all know what it feels like when we want to stick somebody else. We know that, right? So Jesus makes it, right? So Jesus makes it so clear. He gives, he gives nine things here. Love, do good, bless, pray for those. Turn the other cheek, give, don't judge them. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And if you do good only to those who love you, what, be, what, what deal is that? Take the plank out of your own eye. Take the telephone pole out of your own eye before you start looking at the toothpick in your brother's eye or sister's eye. And Jesus is calling all students, teachers, doctors, full-time moms, full-time dads, pastors, leaders. doesn't matter what walk of life, what season of life we're in. He's calling us to something radical. This is simple, yet I know it's so difficult. It almost seems impossible. It almost seems unreasonable. It almost seems illogical to do that because we really want to get someone back. This is a secret I've found here that I think people, when he said, This is for those who are listening to me. Did we catch that in verse 27? For those who are willing to listen to me, who were face to face with God, I think they could receive that because they were so touched with the living God, it made sense to love somebody. How in the world, if I call myself a Christian, if I call myself a Christ follower, how in the world could I hold love back from anyone else? That is doing wrong things to me or my family. If I start to justify, what I really do is I begin to cut myself off from all the presence and all the glory and everything that God wants to put into my life. It's like a spigot. I shut it off when I shut others out. 
So here's, here's how I think this works. We all know what it means to love somebody. That's, we got that, right? We can do loving things. I don't want to spend 18 minutes on here's things you can do, although we'll get to a little bit of that. But here's how, the bigger picture. I think of all of this. The more I see how he views me, then I'll be able to love somebody else. But when I try, I'm going to really love this person. I'm going to dig down deep inside of myself, and I'm going to make that happen. And when it becomes a chore, and it becomes something we have to do, and it becomes a religious kind of, kind of quota, or it's like pulling a file out of a file cabinet, I guess I'll choose to love somebody today, and there's no joy in that, then it just becomes religion. I'm not interested, the older I get, I am not interested in religion. I am not interested in just following rules and doing things that I have to do. Where's the joy? Where's the passion? Where's the love? Did I get an opportunity to serve the living Jesus? Jesus said on another occasion to his disciples at that place in the Sea of Galilee, when you do it unto the least of these, you've done it unto who? Him. When you look into somebody's eyes, there is a soul in there. There is somebody who God created. There is somebody there, no matter how hateful they are, no matter how difficult they are, no matter how whatever you want to fill in the blank they're with, there is somebody that Jesus died for. How can I hold love back from that person? But I will be honest with you and I will be real. It seems like the greatest joy and the greatest heartache take place in relationships among brothers and sisters. Would you agree? Some of the deepest hurts that still even today, for me, it's like shrapnel. Sometimes something will be said or I'll relive an experience and it'll bring me back right to that moment that people, and you've had this experience, you trusted them, you loved them, you, you poured into them and there was this turnaround, there was this hypocrisy and they intentionally hurt you and they stole from you, they stole a part of your soul. It's hard. I know. I get it. The more I see how he views me, that helps me to fulfill his command, right? So, how does Jesus view you right now? Oh, I know. I know how it would go. The first thing that I think of when I think if if Jesus were to have this moment with me right now, what would he be thinking about you? What would he be feeling about you? He would just be kind of distant. Big D, distant. We talked about the 5D people. Well, let's transfer that over to some of us. Maybe we think that Jesus is so distant from us because we got involved in stuff that we shouldn't have got involved in. He remembers my sin. I know that he said he forgives it and he forgets it, but if he's God, how can he really forget it? And we think that God thinks and looks at us in light of all the bad things that we did, and therefore God is distant from us. Well, if I go to a place like this, I need to clean up my life. If I need to invite somebody to a place like this on a Sunday morning, or my life group, or some activity, men's group, women's group, I have to certainly... They have to clean up their life first before they get into this place. Wrong. Or, the other D is distracted. Jesus is just really distracted. He's got bigger things to do. Jesus has Harvest Crusade to do. He's got K-Wave Radio. He's got Greg Laurie and Rick Warren. Those are the heavy hitters. Jesus is pouring most of his energy and passion into people like that. But people like me... 
ever feel like he's just distracted? He's got the universe. What's he worried about me for? And of course, the last one, and I think we've all felt this, and I certainly have in my life, just disappointed. I am so disappointed in you. I had such grand plans for your life. And then we wonder why we don't have this joy of coming to a place like this. Come meet the Jesus who's distant with me. Come meet the Jesus who's distracted by everything else. Come on, come meet the Jesus who's disappointed in me. Do you see what we sometimes can do without even knowing? I think when the disciples were listening to Jesus and they were listening to the Sermon on the Mount, they were looking into the eyes of God. They were in the presence of Jesus. So they knew because they were chosen, because they were set apart, because Jesus had so changed their life and their direction, their purpose, they were all in. That's why they left everything to follow Jesus. That's why they could leave everything and say, Jesus, we are with you. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, it pained them so much when Peter took up the sword and he was going to cut off the ear of that soldier. You're not going to take away Jesus from me because he loved me when nobody would love me. We, we must get back in touch. In fact, Jesus said it better than anyone else in Revelation. All these great things you have done, but one thing you are missing, you are missing your first love of just loving me. How do I love Jesus more? The more that I see how he views me makes me fall in love with him. So how does he see me? Does he always look at me with disappointment, distance, and distraction? Or, that's the enemy. That's the enemy. You're no good. You'll never amount to anything. I remember your sin, and you'll never get out of it. He wants you to stay there. And then the enemy grabs a stronghold. Remember that visual? He grabs a stronghold into our life. And we feel like we're stuck. And then we start playing the Christian game. And we put a happy face on. When on the inside, man, we are dying. And you're, now you're asking me to love people? Are you kidding me? I can't love anybody. I can't even love myself. I can't even love God. I don't know. Maybe this is just for one person in this room. I know this is for me. He, number one, how does he see you? Because the Bible says in John 15, 16, I chose you. You did not choose me first, and he wasn't trying to demean the fact that we chose Jesus. He's saying, I chose you before the creation of the world, man. He looked right into Peter's eyes, right into James and John, right into Bartholomew, all of them, and he said, I chose you guys because I wanted you. You ever been in a place where you weren't chosen? My first 18 years, well, I still go out on the basketball court. I never get, I'm always the last one chosen. Because I'm short, I'll always be short. I said, God, why couldn't you make me like 6'4"? I know what it feels like to not be chosen, but when that runs deep, when you're not chosen by somebody that said they love you, that's a deep thing. Jesus says, I chose you. I chose you to follow me. I chose you. If you never did one more thing, Jesus Christ loves you. He loves you exactly how you are. You can never do anything, anything else to get God to love you more or forgive you more. He loves you. He chose you. 
So don't let the enemy lie to you and say he's disappointed, he's distracted, he's just distant. He chose you. And the very fact that God chose me, that rises something up within me by the Holy Spirit power to think, okay, God, you're still in this with me. I can fulfill that command of loving people because I know you love me. Even on my very worst day and on my very best day, God loves me the same. That's enough for me. Number two is this. Ephesians 1, 5, and 7. If you just want to take some notes down there, right in front of the seat, back in front of you. He accepted you. You are accepted into the beloved. Now watch this. You are not accepted because you're here in a place like this. You are not accepted because you do good things. You're not accepted because you give back. Because you are honoring and all those things. Those are great things that God does through you. You are accepted solely on the fact that Jesus Christ loves you. That's it. And what that does is that electrifies my heart. And that says to me, God, I want to love you. I want to love you like you love me, God. Come on, guys. Remember when you fell in love with your spouse? Remember when you got down on one knee or two knees and you asked her to marry you? Remember that moment? You loved her. There was nothing in the way. There was this, it was this pure love. You and her in the same way with 10 gazillion times. God wants to have this passionate love relationship with us. He just wants us to love him. And we know we're accepted by him, not by what we do, just because of who we are. Wow. Number three is this. You are his inheritance. You are his inheritance. When someone passes away and they leave something in a living trust or a will, it's not just about the things. They are saying to you, here, everything that I am now is yours. I'm leaving this to you because I so honor you. I made a choice to do this. We are the inheritance of God. And God isn't waiting up in heaven and go, oh, geez. <sighs> I guess I get Brian. I guess I get Pastor Scott. I guess I get Pastor Robert. I, I guess I get them. And he is long awaited on the seashores of heaven for you to come into eternity because he gets to be with you for eternity. That's the God that we serve. And this is the God that says, now I want you to love everyone else. I want you to find five ways to do good to people that don't like you or you don't like them. That's the mark of a Christian. At the end of the day, what is MVCC about? It's about loving others, loving those people loved well. I just want to make a reference here in the Old Testament. I love this account of, 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 of King David before he became king in 1 Samuel chapter 25. David had assembled some men and he was traveling out by the countryside. And as he was traveling, you remember, some of you remember this, that King Saul was jealous of little David David was the eighth son of Jesse. He wasn't the premier son. He wasn't the first choice to be looked at to be the successor of the king of Israel. King Saul was the first king of Israel, but King Saul couldn't get past himself. He loved himself. And unfortunately, when you love yourself more than anything else, you can't see past to do good leadership. And so that was Saul. And so he was jealous of David because David had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on him. In fact, there was a moment in, in, in King Saul's life and he said, get that little kid David in here. He plays the heart beautifully and he he warms my soul that was david he had an anointing of god and so he hated him he even numerous times he tried to kill david so david was on the run there was a man named nabal who lived in the car this the town of carmel which was near david david knew nabal he was a neighbor get that nabal neighbor but he was dishonest he was a bad guy nabal was he was wealthy he was successful but David was always very protective of his neighbors in the town and the place that he resided in. 
David was good to Nabal, even when Nabal didn't deserve it. Well, when they were at the countryside, as Saul was chasing David and his men, they got hungry, and he sent word to Nabal, could you bring us some food? Nabal's response was this. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 25. He says, who is this David kid? I'm not going to give him anything. Forget it. No. Well, David got word about this, and it really ticked David off. You mean the man after God's own heart got ticked off? Uh-huh. And what was his response? His response was not the psalm that he wrote, for this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. That was not David's response. David's response was fury, destructor, controller. In fact, in verse 22, if you want to look it up, it says, as surely as I live, as he says to his mighty men, one of Nabal's family members will not live by this time tomorrow. David was offended. He was angry, and rightly so. He had done good to Nabal. Nabal was just mean and nasty. He was two-faced. He would say to one neighbor, hey, I love you. Go to the hospital, bring food to you. I hate David. You're the worst. You're the scum of the earth. David saw it, and he was ticked. Now I want to say this. There are times when you need to fight. David fought Goliath, but this was not a time to fight. How do you know? You have to discern. You have to pray. You have to ask God. David missed this one. He was driven by his emotions. He was taking matters into his own hands. It was full speed ahead to Nabal's house. And all of a sudden, God brings somebody humble into his life. And it was, catch this now. This is a trip. This is is crazy. Nabal's wife, Abigail, who the Bible said she was beautiful. But she was also a truth speaker. She loaded up. Watch this. She didn't get her, you know, M80s, and she didn't get all of her rifles and guns ready to blast David. What are you doing to my husband? This is what she did. This is where this ties all this together, and then we'll be done. 200 loaves of bread, 200 bottles of wine, and 500 cakes. I'll tell you what, the one that's intriguing me to the most, not the wine, not the bread, the cakes. That would be cool. Now watch this. She meets David. She bows down before him in humility. This is the guy that's going to take out her husband. And she goes to him in humility. And this is what she says. David, my husband is a foolish man. He's hard-headed, driven by emotion. He shouldn't have insulted you. But then she said this. David, you're the king of Is- next king of Israel. Why are you entangled with my husband's affairs? Do you see what she's saying? We should not be engaging in certain conversations and certain relationships that are toxic. Why am I engaging with people that constantly bring toxicity to a relationship? David all of a sudden comes to his senses. (laughs) Abigail goes back to her husband after David repents. She tells her husband what she did. He was so ticked off. He had a stroke and he died. Now, this is where, you ready for the last part? You have to come next week. No. no. David wastes no time. He sent word to Abigail, would you be my wife? And she agrees. See, when you let God fight your battle, he'll take care of it. Let God fight the battle. You don't fight the battle. 
Don't get revenge. Don't gossip. Don't figure it out. Don't maneuver. Don't manipulate. Don't, well, I'll do this, and then they'll do that. Don't do that. You know how much, ener- you know how much energy that takes to do that? Why not just pray? Let's do what great, 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 great grandma did, and let's pray. Right? Pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. Don't judge. Who do you think you are to judge people? You think you have it all together? Now, I'm not saying that if you, in obedience to Jesus, he'll give you a new wife. I'm not saying that. But Jesus will take care of it, won't he? Didn't he promise that? Does anyone here have a Nabal in their life? And just when we start praying Nabal out, God brings a junior Nabal. So here's some, here's some action points that I just want to finish with. Number one is this. I'll tell you what, this, for you extroverts out there, heartfelt people, we call these people golden retriever type personalities. Just love everybody. I want harmony and unity. Why can't we just all love each other? This is going to be hard. When did Jesus ever say following him was easy? Number one is this. You've got to realize, I have to realize, you can't please everyone. Oh, man. Hate that one. Because you want to please. You want to do right. You, you want everybody to get along. You want things to work out. But things don't always work out according to the plan that we have. And so here's a sub point of that one that I'm still working on in my life. I am choosing, trying to get better at this. And I think a lot of it is spiritual and praying and connecting with the Holy Spirit. And then he enables us to do this. But it's refusing to be offended. That's a tough one, but we can do that. Why? Because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the resurrected Christ in us. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Make every thought captive in Christ. So I'm going to choose to not be offended by this person when they're just nasty and mean and they're a bulldozer and they're bull in a china shop. Proverbs 12, 16 says, A fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up quarrels, but love makes up for all offenses. Even if it doesn't work right in that moment, you have the confidence of knowing that God's got you. Amen? Number two is decide not to retaliate. You're just going to make a decision. I'm not going to do it. So before you text back, if you want to do that to get it out, and then make sure you erase it or have your spouse look at it first, right? Before you pick up the phone and say, this is not going to happen anymore. They are not going to do this to me. Didn't Jesus say when Peter said, well, how many times do we need to forgive? And Jesus said 70 times 7. 490? No, that was just a, that, that was not a literal. That just means as much as someone needs forgiveness. Now, with that, I know that there's feelings maybe in this room of, if I forgive somebody, then I'm acknowledging what they did and not really holding them accountable. Wrong. That's God's job. And what it does is it releases us from the unforgiveness and the bitterness. I have a friend of mine who hasn't talked to his brother. He has two brothers. He hasn't talked to him in 22 years. And he calls himself a Christian. Wait a minute. So, brother, you need to get this right. You're in sin. You're in... How does Jesus view you? He chose you. You are his inheritance. Let our heart melt. So... I'm going to refuse, under point number two, I'm going to refuse to gossip. I'm not going to do it. I'm just not going to gossip about that person. Proverbs 17, 9 says, Love prospers when fault is given, but dwelling on it separates close friends. 
Okay, and the last one, pray for them. Not God, get them. Lord, help me to see my own faults. Oh yeah, that's why you gave that, st- that illustration of the plank in my eye. The toothpick in my brother's eye? Well, I got this telephone pole sticking out of my own eye. That's a good visual for me. I'm going to pray for everything they deserve in their life from God that I want. Love, joy, peace, patience, all those things, family, all those things that we want, praying that they receive all of that. Everything you want for your life. I, I, we did this a few months ago. I just want to throw it back out there again, challenging us 30 days of prayer for your enemy, praying for everything you want in your life. Just as Abigail bowed down in front of the king, Jesus came down to earth, didn't he? Jesus humbled himself with the Roman soldiers that brought down the scepter, that pressed down the crown of thorns on his head, that struck him in the face as they brought their fist down on the very face of God who loved them. And it's the Jesus that we know that looked at every single one of them and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So the next time I see someone that's unlovable, that's unkind, that's mean, that's causing trouble, stirring up, I know they're doing this. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, I thank you for your word. That God, right here, so simple to love. But God, I just pray in some small way that Someone here is touched by the truth and the reality that you love us for free. And okay, I, I can do this. I can love. I can stop judging. I can stop and move forward, God, with just being you to people in my life. God, we pray a blessing on this time and now as we move into this reflective, quiet moment of the cross how good you are, God. Pray there's just some re-examination, God, in all of us. And that re-examination, Jesus, I don't know what it is, God, but I confess there's times I go to quickly all the bad things that I've been doing all week, and then I need to come and ask you to forgive me. But God, I think also, just in this moment, because you gave us truth, that examining myself and how you see me Thank you for reminding us today, God, you chose us. You accept us. And God, we are your inheritance. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. This is just a, a few moments that we want you to have, just you and God. And you'll notice in the seat back in front of you, there's a small cup with juice and some bread. And it's just a reminder of what Jesus told us. I want you to do this to remember me. Why did he want them to remember him because he loved them wanted them to carry on the good news why because of love so we'll give you this quiet time to remember him and work some things out with him and then we'll come back to to worship thank you so much for joining us at mission vale christian church just know that we always have live services here every sunday at 9 and 11 a.m We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.